Welcome to Hack to Start, a podcast focused on interesting people and the innovative ways they achieve success. I'm Franco Variano. And I'm Tyler Copeland. Each week we speak with a new guest about how they created, hacked, and hustled their way to the top and distill their insights and experiences for you. The path to success isn't always linear. Hack, start, and repeat. This episode is brought to you by Breather. Find beautiful, practical spaces that you can reserve on the go. Ghost, a simple, powerful publishing platform that allows you to share your story with the world. And SoundCloud. Hear the world's sounds. You're listening to episode 84 of Hack to Start. This episode features Wells Riley, a product designer at Envoy, the new standard for visitor registration. Tyler and I wanted to invite Wells onto the show to share his story as an entrepreneur and designer. Wells began building websites with his friends back in high school and took up design. He then started to notice that design wasn't taken as seriously when it came to startups and great products, so he created a few online resources to inspire others. Startups, This Is How Design Works, and Hack Design, which saw over 150,000 signups, are both still active and helping others. Wells joins us to share his story, why he got into product design, how he grew both of these design resources, what he's doing at Envoy, and much more. This is an amazing episode you won't want to miss, so let's get to it. Hey, Wells. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Hey, no problem. Good, good to be here. Yeah, we're really excited to have you on and share a little bit more about, you know, what you're up to uh, working at Envoy and, uh, and who you are kind of outside of work. So let's just dive right in. Can you tell us a little bit more about, you know, where you're from, what you studied and how your passion for entrepreneurship and design really began to develop? Uh, sure thing. I started life uh, on the East Coast of the United States in Connecticut. And I guess like right from the beginning, you know, my, uh, my family is very entrepreneurial like my dad ran his own business and both of my uncles ran their own businesses and both of my grandfathers ran their own businesses. So really early on, it was almost like you're not supposed to have a job. You're supposed to kind of start your own thing. Um, so, so that was kind of the, the pretext of, uh, of my life growing up. You know, when, when they asked me in, in like kindergarten or first grade, I remember, you know, they, they asked you to draw a picture of what you want to be when you grow up. And the stereotypical answer is always, you know, like they want to be a firefighter or they want to be a police officer. But I wanted to do what my dad did. So uh, he's a he's a painting contractor. Uh, so I, I drew like a picture of him painting a house. I said I want to be a painting contractor. And it was weird because uh, as I grew up, I, I remembered that. And it's like, man, like, why did I want to be a painting contractor when I was a kid? And I guess it wasn't really until college that I understood. It wasn't that I wanted to be a painting contractor. It was that um, I didn't want to work for somebody else and I didn't want to, you know, be like, a, like sitting at a desk all day and working at, towards some mission that doesn't really make any sense. I, I wanted to be an entrepreneur, I guess, since I was a, a small child that, and didn't even know what entrepreneurship was or um, what tech was, you know. That's really awesome. Love the story about, you know, your drawing and the realization that it was really the entrepreneurial spirit that you wanted to sort of capture and pursue. So from that early kind of stage, how did you actually get into design? What motivated you to start your own, you know, design firm? Well, well, that's an interesting one because uh, as a kid, like uh, my, my parents were afraid of the computer and afraid of the internet. <laughs> not, in a, not in a bad way, but in a, like Oprah told you it was bad. So therefore... As a child of the early 90s, it's yeah. probably bad kind of way. They never told me not to use the computer or not to be interested in the computer. They were just very concerned about the dangers of the internet that I think were kind of oversold back then. Like they didn't 
want me to be in chat rooms and I, I wasn't, and I don't think I missed anything, but particularly like they were very, like they were curious, like, why are you spending so much time on a computer? Like, what are you doing? Um, and I was, you know, going to the Harry Potter websites and watching movie trailers and playing, you know, Neopets and all that other stuff you do when you're a kid. And yeah. I guess at some point I really got into music and, you know, I, I was playing guitar and I wasn't very good at that, but I knew pretty well how a computer worked. And somehow I like got a copy of Paint Shop Pro before Photoshop was really even a thing, completely illegally, of course, and uh, started playing with that. And at some point, someone told me to play with Photoshop, so I started playing with Photoshop. And this was all like on message boards, like forums, and like super nice adults, and like there were like a handful of kids. And uh, and by kids, I mean like you know teenagers, like you know 15, 16. As like the only non-adults on this message board, we kind of you know we would talk and uh, talk over MSN Messenger or AOL Messenger. And um, one kid in particular, you know, we we were we were we got along pretty well, and we decided that we wanted to start making websites for bands. And you know, of course, if my parents had known about this, that would have been awful because. Not only am I talking to people on the internet, but I'm going into business with someone on the internet <laughs> as a as a minor. And you know, I, I didn't tell them about any of it. We just we decided to break up the work, and like you know, he he kind of knew how to code a little better than I did. Uh, so he decided to do the coding part, and I had Photoshop, and he didn't. So, so I, that made you decided, the designer. <laughs> yeah, so that that made me the designer, right? Um, before I really even understood what a designer was. You know, we'd, we'd do these jobs and it'd be like, you know, a couple hundred bucks here and there. And um, it, was, it was interesting because I was making the same money that all of my other friends were making, uh, working at grocery stores or gas stations or whatever in my small town. But we thought, like, we, you know, obviously you don't compare salaries when you're in high school. But, but like, you know, we, we'd get this job for like, like oh, my God, this guy's going to pay us $400 for two months of work. This is, <laughs> this is insane. It's a gold rush. Like, 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 how can we get away with this, man? So, so we we just built these crappy little websites, and over time they got a little less crappy. And at some point, you know, uh, one of the bands that we were working with, we really liked, and they were going to do a, a show in New York. So I wanted to go to the show. I got I, I got tickets for the show, but my my partner wanted to go to the show as well. Um, he lives in Kansas, so. He had to fly over and, you know, being in high school, you don't really have, like, you can't get like a hotel or anything. So, um, he, you know, we're, we're, we're in high school. We can't afford it on $400 every two months. Um, <laughs> so I finally break it to my parents. I tell them like, Hey, um, uh, a friend of mine is going to you know, stay with us for a couple of days so that we can go to this concert together. I met him on the internet and, <laughs> uh, we've been make, kind of making websites for the last four years together. And it went over totally fine. Like they were like, okay, cool. Um, <laughs> because I, th- I think by then, you know, I was, you know, they, they weren't as concerned about it. This was like the, the mid two thousands. And I think they understood that I wasn't going to die on the computer, but you know, this is a very long story for like a very simple thing, but like it was really formative to, to the way I thought about computers and design and, and the web, because I was doing it at such a young age that, it, uh, it carried over into high school and then into college. And, you know, we, we went to the concert and it was great and everything went fine. But uh, in college, I really got like a, a broader perspective and uh, I went to school for, for graphic design. So I got a lot better at it. Kevin, the, the guy from, from Kansas, he got much better at computer programming because he went to computer science. 
and we were able to take on much more complex projects. Um, so it went from making these dinky little websites to actually like making iPhone apps and making uh, web apps and like making stuff that people can actually interact with instead of just informational brochures on the web. That's awesome. Do you, you guys still work on projects together? Um, not anymore. So the, the company kind of dissolved right at the end of college. I had to, like, I was the creative director and I was also, like, you know, managing a group of uh, about six people. And it turns out that if you have no management experience as a uh, college student, that it's really hard to just kind of learn it on the fly. It got to the point where um, we made a couple mistakes. You know, like, I, I hired some contractors to do some work that we said we could do because I assumed I could hire contractors to help, and the contractors turned out to not be very good because it turns out you have to know how to hire contractors and assess their skill. And when you're hiring someone to do something that you don't know how to do, it's really hard to assess whether or not they can do the job. So we spent a little bit of money that we had saved up to, to fix those problems, you know, make it right with the customer. Right at the end of college, it, uh, it turned into like, okay, there's one more big job on the horizon we have to get this big job. Otherwise, I'm going to shut down the company because I don't want all of you guys to graduate because we're all in the same class. Um, I don't want you guys to graduate and then have to live on a $20,000 a year salary in Boston because we were all going to school in Boston. So like, I didn't want to make them like I don't want to put my, my team into a bad position where they felt like they had to stay on. Otherwise, the company would fail without them. You know, it's true. It, it would have failed without them if I had insisted that we keep going. Like fresh out of college, you don't want to be saving a fledgling company that was started in high school. You want to go on and do something amazing with your with what you've you learned in college and all your new skills. So we didn't end up landing the job. They decided to do it in house. So that was the point where I just kind of said, like, okay, well, I'm gonna write you guys all amazing recommendations, and I'll try to talk to our customer base and see if I can get you guys some referrals. And that was it. That was the end. It sounds like there's some good uh, some good lessons learned at least from from that and uh, you know that that that's a good <laughs> it's a good way to, to end it I guess. Yeah, I mean we ended with maybe two hundred dollars in the bank and everyone got a little bit of severance um, before we hit that two thousand and um, I think everyone found something before they got into a really dire situation. So yeah, I wasn't able to manage a company in college. But I feel like I was able to handle the situation when I realized that it wasn't going to work out. And I feel like nobody was put in a position where they were put out or ended up without work. So I feel like overall, you know, the, the work we did do was a great success. And I think the way that we handled it at the end was also pretty admirable. So, you know, from there, you actually then became the lead product designer at Kicksend. You know, can you tell us a bit more about this product um, and how you created the opportunity to work there? Oh, sure. So um, Kicksend was a, uh, it started out as a file sharing platform. Um, basically, you open a website, uh, you can drop the files in, and then, you know, they get sent to, to whoever you want to send them to. Um, when I joined, um, they were actually just starting to pivot from file sharing to photo sharing because they found that I think 80% of their overall traffic was photos. So they figured, you know, let's make a really great product specifically for photos. So we worked on that. We re totally redid the app, uh, redid the, the web component of it as well, and made it a really great experience for uh, sharing photos and you know, interacting with photos, specifically with, uh, with really close family members, um, not necessarily friends and followers like you would with something like, uh, like Instagram. So you've also created a bunch of side projects, including startups, This Is How Design Works, 
um, and Hack Design, um, which is a course for people who do amazing things. So what really motivated you to start both of these resources? Um, so Startups, This Is How Design Works was the first one that I did. I actually did that in college for my um, like my capstone thesis project. So that one took me maybe four or five months to compile the research and write the actual, you know, the, the prose that was on there and then code up the website myself. And that one was interesting because I, I felt like there was this sense in the tech world that, and this was, you know, back in 2012, mind you. So it was a lot, a lot different back then than it is today. But designers really weren't getting the, the recognition and the, the sense that design is a necessary component of a successful startup company. So I, I kind of had this opinion that it is necessary just, just as much as like hiring an engineering team is necessary. Because how can you build a product if you don't have anyone inside the company building it? I felt the same way about design. It's like, how can you design a successful product without having a designer on the team? You know, you can hire a consultant to make it pretty or make an MVP, but then the, that designer's not doing the research. They're not maybe not talking to a customer as, as much as someone in-house would. If you're working with an agency or a consultancy, you're always working towards like a deliverable. And once you hit the end, you know, like any good tech company knows, like there's no end, like you don't finish your product ever. So that doesn't really map very well to working with a consultant, um, especially early on. So I, I kind of positioned it as this letter to the tech community that's like, hey, you want to start this company, you want to grow it huge and you want to be successful and you want to make a great product, but you're not hiring designers as part of your founding team. So my argument is, you know, you should have a designer in your founding team because you have to have that whole product, like creative team to, to actually execute on it and not just make it beautiful, but make it usable and speak to a customer's needs and um, really make it useful so that when you spend all that time and all that risk on building an MVP, that it's actually a reasonable MVP, you know, like the V part in the middle is the most important one. It has to be, it has to be a viable product, right? Yeah, it's yeah. not just minimum. So, you know, I, I, I wrote that and it really took off and I, I didn't really know how it happened, but um, it went viral and, you know, millions of people have seen it and shared it. I've gotten stories about how it, like somebody printed it out and posted it at some, some insurance company. And I won't name which one. Um, and then another movie studio and I won't name that one either, but, yeah, I got all these notes from people saying, you know, like this really helped me explain to my company or explain to my co-founder that we need this. I, th I think it was really helpful to the tech community to understand that design is not just how it looks, it's also how it works. So nowadays, uh, in small part, thanks to, to me, and I think in a, in a larger part to designers really becoming interested in technology and interested in startups, it's kind of hard to find a small company that isn't doing design at a very early stage. Yeah, it's awesome. That's a really cool, uh, cool story to see how, you know, a simple, a simple project turned into so much more. Yeah. And then uh, hack design was kind of the, the next phase of that. Um, and that came, I think, a year and a half or two years later. Um, and I, I knew that I need a, needed to do a follow up because people had asked me, like, OK, I get it. I, I see that design is important, but I don't know how to find a designer or like I want to be able to do it myself. I can't hire a designer right now. I can't afford it. Um, like, how can I hack this? Like, how can I just make it happen um, and, and bootstrap my way until I can actually afford to hire a designer? I didn't know what to do. And I ended up talking to one of my friends. Uh, his name was Kevin Zhu. And he was saying how he wanted to make this, like, design year product where 
you would follow this course for a year and at the beginning like you'd be totally crappy at design or maybe you had no design experience at all uh, but by the end you'd have enough to make an mvp basically um, and have some some core design understanding without having to go to design school and i, I saw that idea and i was like dude this is awesome you know like i i've been thinking about this for so long and i haven't really known what to do about it uh so we so we paired up on it and we spent i think two weeks building this thing which eventually became hack design you know, we got a couple other people in the mix after we had the first idea and um, a lot of really high profile designers kind of latched onto it as being a great way for them to provide a little bit of insight without too much effort. Because basically each each lesson is a is just five links out to the web um, with a little bit of a, an explainer on like, here's the specific little tiny area of design that I'm telling you that you should know about. Uh, maybe something that you never knew about, like typography, like you know the word kerning or you know the word letting or you know the word typeform or typography or font, but maybe you don't know how they interact or what the words mean or why they're important. And it's really hard to Google for something that you don't understand. Um, I know this because like, I've tried writing code and when you hit this like impasse where you know that you need to do something to make it work, but you don't know what it's called, and you try to Google the problem and it's like, shit, like, I don't know what it's called. I don't know what my problem is. I can't enunciate my problem. Yeah. I think it really strikes a chord with people where they are able to do it. They're able to do the simple stuff, um, but they don't know what it's called yet. So they don't know how to get any better at it. So it's the kind of thing where you do the lesson, you read the link or you, you follow the example that was linked to. And um, it's mostly aimed at people who can do self-learning or self-discovery and figure out like, okay, I have enough of a framework to on typography now that, I can search for basically anything or I can find more resources or tutorials or whatever so I can get better at it on my own instead of us having to build that all into the platform and like turn it into like, you know, every two days you have to do an assignment and then turn it in. And like, what does it mean to turn in an assignment? <laughs> it's totally subjective. Like there's no right answer, right? So somebody has to evaluate you. How do we evaluate 10,000 people? Yeah. And now it's a hundred thousand or 150,000. I don't remember anymore. Um, but like, yeah, that's not sustainable, but a model that is totally self-driven and self-motivated with just enough so that you can hack it, right? It's called hack design for a reason, right? Like, I think that was really crucial for people because you can go from not knowing anything at all to having a somewhat understanding of it, and then you can do it yourself to get a much deeper understanding on just the topics that are really relevant to you. So hack design went on to attract over 150,000 students. What was your process for growing that? How, how did you get that out to the masses? Well, at first we did PR. So um, I worked with one of my friends to uh, kind of reach out to different press uh, avenues and figure out who would be interested in writing about this. Um, so we got a little bit of PR at the beginning. Um, this was before our product hunt. and I guess it probably wouldn't be too relevant on product hunt, but um, we posted on Hacker News and Reddit. And I think it was really popular on Hacker News because it embodies the idea of you know, hacking and figuring it out on your own and kind of being self-motivated and self-driven to, to learn more. So it really struck a chord with them, I think. And um, we also made the product very viral. So from working on a consumer photo sharing product, I, I knew very well how effective viral loops are to, to earning new users. So I applied some of that that I learned at KickSense to, to say like, okay, well, if somebody signs up, how can we get two people to sign up from that person? So we built in a sharing model very early 
uh, into the prototype that says like even so aggressively that like when you sign up, you can tweet out that you signed up. And that was something that we had tried at Kicksend and it didn't really make any sense because like, why would like, that's not important. Why would you tweet that you signed up for photo sharing? But it turned out that when you're trying to improve yourself and learn something new, you want to tell all your friends that you're trying to, to learn something new. Like it's a point of pride to even get started. Um, so we found that a lot of people were signing up just because other people had signed up. And then at the end of every lesson, we also offer you the opportunity to tweet or Facebook post or whatever to say that you had completed a lesson on whatever topic you had just completed. So that was really helpful, too, because people would see like, oh, this guy learned how to do, I don't know, motion design really easily. So I'm going to sign up to learn motion design, too. It's a it's a one year program. So that means that uh, if you start today, you'll end on February 8th, 2017, uh, meaning that if the product is about two years old, that means that anyone that started before a year ago is now finished. So you'd think that based on our PR push and our, our popularity back in uh, 2013, that our user base would decrease. Uh, but we found that it's actually stayed the same for the last three years um, because we get just as many people signing up every day that we get as we get um, finishing the course. Oh, that's awesome. So, so even now it's still pretty popular and we haven't touched it. We, we tried to make it hands-off so that it would be easy for curators to create the content for us. Um, but I guess one of the side effects of that that we didn't really anticipate was that even after we finished creating new content, people would still be able to discover and learn from the content that was created before and still get value out of it without us having to do constant upkeep or constantly adding new stuff to it. Those are some really great insights, and it's cool to see that the product is, is actually still going today. So... Touching a little bit more on what you do, you know, day to day, um, you're currently a product designer at Envoy. So what is Envoy and how did you create the opportunity to work there? Um, so Envoy is the, the best visitor management system in the world. Um, we're basically taking a very old model of uh, paper and pen logbook, having to sign an NDA on paper and have some really weird like old webcam taking your picture and sending it God knows where taking all of that and digitizing it and turning it into this very simple, elegant flow where as a visitor, you just come in, you just type in, you know, some details about yourself. And then um, the person that you're there to see will instantly get notified that you're, you're a visitor um, and that you're down in the lobby and they can come down to greet you without the receptionist having to run around the building looking for whoever you're visiting because maybe they're not at their desk or they're not answering their phone or they're in the bathroom or, or whatever. I joined the company pretty early, so I think I was the, the fourth person to join. And I think it was it was a really interesting opportunity for me because there there wasn't a designer on the team at the time, and they really saw a need to maintain that branding that it was really like an elegant and well-designed experience. And I saw the initial version was really beautiful and really elegant, but I think there was a lot of room to to really like make it more like a more enriched experience and um you know, really, really take it somewhere special. Yeah, absolutely. It's super cool. And so, you know, I've mentioned it before with, with your last role um, as product designer, um, but I'm, I'm really curious, like, what is your role as a product designer, especially now at Envoy? And what are some of the challenges you've had to sort of consider uh, while making that product and sort of elevating it just as, as you were just talking about? So, so, you know, working at a small company that's growing really quickly uh, in terms of uh, in terms of user growth and, and usage growth, you have to wear a lot of different hats. You know, every, everyone says this about working at a small company. You have, you have to do pretty much everything. But at Envoy, it's interesting because 
there's no role that is like very clearly defined. Um, even now, like we've grown from, from nothing to about 21, 22 people. And we really strongly encourage people to think about ways to improve the company or improve the product experience or delight our customers without necessarily staying within the bounds of their role. So like, for example, one of the things that I did early on, like we, we identified that um, a lot of customers were not signing up for a paid plan because they couldn't procure the hardware fast enough. Um, so their 14-day trial would end before maybe like their IT guy was able to find an iPad um, or find a stand or find a printer. So they had trouble paying for it because they weren't able to try it out. So we experimented with like, what if we sent you the hardware? Like, let's just send you an iPad and a, and a printer and a stand and we'll give you free overnight shipping or, or free two-day shipping and we'll give you plenty of time to play with it before your trial ends. And, you know, I'm a product designer. I'm not a logistics manager. So going down to the Apple store and buying more iPads than any one person has ever bought um, may not necessarily fall under my role. Basically, like, bypassing reseller agreements to buy too many uh, badge printers off of B&H Photos website, you know, again, probably not a super great idea, but it was really interesting because uh, we found that after we did that, um, not only did those customers convert to a, a paid plan, but it was a 90% conversion rate. That is just absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, it's insane. But it's also a ridiculous amount of work because a full-time employee has to go buy stuff and then stock it and then put it somewhere in the office that it's not going to be an insurance liability because you have $10,000 worth of equipment. And, you know, we totally bootstrapped the whole thing. And of course, now it's a much more advanced program. And we have distributors around the U.S. We have a, an online you know, shopping portal to actually purchase the equipment. So, you know, you don't have to go through me to, to get your iPad. You can buy it yourself. And we have shipping partners and we do this whole kidding program and now we call it Envoy in a Box. So you pick, you know, which iPad stand and printer you want. We'll put it all in a box for you. We'll throw in some th some free uh, name badges for you and you get it. If, if you're in San Francisco, you'll get it in about an hour. And if you're outside of the city, you'll get it in about a day. So, you know, what started as a really like hacky, unsustainable program has turned into uh, part of our core business. And we really think that it's uh, it's something that we probably wouldn't have done if we were a more traditional business or if we you know, played it safe and stayed out of the hardware business. But by taking that risk and, and doing that experiment, we found that you know, for all of the hassle that it is to basically be a hardware reseller, it pays off so much for us. Um, and you know, that may not be true for every business, but it's true for ours. And because of you know, initiatives like that, that we've found that are successful and you know, same goes for the ones that weren't successful. You know, we've, we've tried plenty of things that didn't work, but we, we try to encourage everyone on the team, including new hires, to, to not think within the bounds of the role that they were hired for. Um, you know, like if you're a Rails engineer at our company, you're expected to maintain and build and design really great Rails code. You're, you're responsible for that part of the product and making sure that it's the best that, like the best Rails app and the most elegantly designed system you can you can make you know ever but at the same time that's not their only role there's a lot of emphasis on you know going outside of that and, and thinking about ways that are sort of unintuitive or unexpected to make our customers happy that's really cool so how do you approach sort of design and building products through through that perspective through the lens of a designer well i think design and product are very closely linked 
I don't think you can have one without the other. Um, I feel the same way about engineering as well. You know, you can't think of the product as like the thing that the user sees and then think of design and engineering as like a, a means to that end. It's really like, it's so nebulous and I would almost even say undefinable. Like part of the product is making sure that it, it runs really well and like there, there's no bugs and, you know, the code that you write is really efficient. And if there's 500 people using a specific part of the product at the same time, that it doesn't get slow or unreliable or break and then not tell anybody, um, but, you know, it has to be stateful and it has to be responsive to uh, like the current state of the of, of the server like you know if, if the server goes down and it doesn't say anything then people just they don't know you know and they feel like it's unreliable that it's not very good or with design like design's a really visible and and sort of obvious way to look at a product and say you know like this product is well designed or it's not well designed um, not just because it looks nice or you know it doesn't look nice but also you know you can tell when a product is not easy to use or it's not intuitive and you feel like you're not exactly sure what's going to happen when you click a button or you're, there's a button where it's not supposed to be um, or the flow doesn't make sense or you feel like you're confused. Like, you know, when when does this end? Like, when do I get the payoff that I'm looking for? Because, you know, people don't use products to just use them. They use them to solve a problem or to accomplish some sort of task. You also have to think about the, the team that's working on it, too. You know, like a, a lot of the dynamic of our team and the different parts of our team really are reflected in the products. Like we're not just a bunch of stodgy enterprise dudes writing boring enterprise software. Like we're a bunch of interesting, diverse, funny, clever people working on really interesting and really user-friendly enterprise software in a world where people expect it to be boring and sterile and mostly kind of hard to use. So it's, it's everything, you know, like the team has to see the vision and, and see the the customer need, you know, and if you can execute on that really well, I think it really shows in the product. Absolutely. And I think you guys definitely are right now. So uh, yeah, kudos to you guys. So Envoy has raised a bit more than $16 million. How has this had an impact on sort of your role in the company in, in general? Honestly, the, the money hasn't really impacted my role too much. You know, we're, we're basically an enterprise company. So the nice thing about our product is that we charge money for it um, and you know, we're making a lot of revenue every month from customers who are happily paying for the product. And that is actually way more impactful than the venture money. The venture money is going to help us uh, with marketing, like, you know, really scale up and, and make, do experiments on that side, um, mainly because marketing is expensive and you can't just take one company's marketing tactics and apply it to your business directly like one-to-one basically every company you need to do your own experiments and find out uh, what works and what doesn't work for your particular company Um, we also have really strong marketing ethics something that may work really well for our business may not be as ethically sound as we want it to be so we just won't do it Um, so that makes the experimentation process even harder so i think as we scale up our marketing and our sales like that's going to be really critical for us um, also for hiring because human beings cost money up front and they never stop costing money. So being able to to take some of the money that we make from our customers every month and kind of reinvest it in them, whether it's sending them cupcakes every time they hit a thousand visitors, uh, which is something that we do globally. We'll, we'll print your logo on, on the cupcakes and send you a nice little message. Sometimes we'll, we'll send gifts or surprises or just kind of do things that are unexpected. Um, to make sure that the customer knows that Envoy is not your average company. But I think 
you know, the, the venture money I think will help us later on. But since we are making a lot of revenue, it's it's not it's not like we we suddenly needed cash to stay afloat. You know, like our runway is like a million years. So that's awesome. <laughs> so so what's next for you and Envoy uh, this year? Oh man, um, well we need to grow the engineering team a lot. So. If you're listening and you're an engineer, uh, we do hire remotes and we also do visas. So please send us an email. Pretty, pretty, please. (laughs) (laughs) But um, I think a lot of it is like taking our product, which our customers really seem to love. And, you know, obviously people will get feature requests or or people will have like a specific thing that doesn't work perfectly for them. You know, uh, we are a very small team, so not every feature is totally perfect right out the gate. Um, so making sure that the experience is like consistent and really reliable and uh, making sure that design wise, like everyone really like the product makes sense and there's a, a flow and it's predictable and make sure that the user experience is really top notch. Um, and then also um, we've got some new stuff in the pipeline too that you know, a lot of customers have really wanted. And uh, we want to make sure that we can live up to that expectation that Envoy is going to follow through. So yeah, and we've got some some secret stuff in the pipeline too. So trying to keep it interesting and, and keep making stuff people love. That's cool. We'll definitely have to keep an eye out on all the cool things uh, coming from Envoy in the coming months. So what are some of the most recent apps you've downloaded or used, either personally or, or professionally? Oh, man. Um, I, I recently tried um, Weather Underground. I used to not use weather apps at all. I used to use Ift to basically tell me if it's going to be too hot or too cold or if it's going to be raining. But I found that living within walking distance of the office, it's a lot nicer to be able to look ahead and see like, you know, what the weather's going to be like. Totally innovative, I know. Like no one's ever thought about looking at the weather before. But, uh, you know, I've never really got the whole thing on like everyone's making a weather app these days kind of thing. But I downloaded this one and there's just so much data. It's, It's insane. And it goes for days and days and days. I don't. I think they must be lying about the forecast. I don't know how they can possibly know. <laughs> but it, you know, it's it's super nice, and uh, it doesn't send me notifications or pop-ups or any crap. It's it's just straight up weather data. So I really enjoy that. Let's see. I don't know. I'm looking at my phone right now, trying to think of any of the good ones. Have you ever used a uh, ship before? Do you guys have ship in in Canada? We don't, which is so sad. <laughs> I oh, want man. it. <laughs> it looks awesome. Dude. Ship is the best. Like I never knew that I hated shipping as much as I did until I got spoiled rotten with ship. I was going to ask you earlier if, because uh, when you said you guys ship hardware kits within San Francisco in the same day, if you guys use ship. Uh, yeah, so we use ship uh, combined with a couple other uh, local couriers to make sure that anyone in the Bay Area is uh, sort of freaked out and astounded that <laughs> their their order was fulfilled in less than two hours. So. That's pretty uh, yeah. cool. They're, they're like the nicest guys and they recently redesigned their app and it was just uh, absolutely gorgeous. Nice. That's awesome. Cool. Um, so do you have any recommendations on some cool content that you've come across lately, like books, videos, blog posts, whatever? Uh, yeah. So um, I actually uh, subscribed to Sidebar. It's uh, sidebar.io. Basically, it's almost like the hack design of RSS where you, you sign up for an email and they'll send you an email every day of like the, the five best design links every day. And it's nice because, you know, when I'm sometimes when I'm really, you know, uh, heads down at work, I don't have time to check product on or hacker news or anything. So it's nice to, to kind of get a feed of that. Also, I've also subscribed to Benedict Evans newsletter, which is interesting because 
he, you know, as a VC, he kind of gets a, an insight into the whole industry without actually having to, you know, get too deep into like a specific product or a specific company. Um, so since he talks to a lot of different companies through his job as a VC, um, he can see trends and he can kind of analyze things from, from that perspective. He, he sends one out, I think it's every, every weekend on a, on a Sunday. And sometimes he just blows my mind. It's like, He's so like into the data and like thinking about these, these companies that I don't really spend a whole lot of time thinking about. Um, it's just really interesting to to get that perspective on it. And as you can probably tell based on my two recommendations, that newsletters mainly because I don't really have time to go browse for different content. I kind of just like hope that someone really smart is curating it and is able to to kind of just send it to me on a subscription basis. Yeah, absolutely. No, those are both really good recommendations and I would highly recommend them to anyone else who's listening. So we'll provide the links to uh, for anyone who wants to check those out. So do you have any last thoughts or personal mottos that you live by and you think others should know about? My biggest thing is craft. So you can be a really, you know, uh, a great designer and you, know, you can make stuff beautiful or you can make it functional or you can be a really great engineer and like build literally anything or you can be an entrepreneur and you can come up with great ideas and really, you know, execute as, as hard as you can to get like an MVP out or, or make something really, really awesome. But for me, it really comes down to like how well it's made. Um, and that's not necessarily something that is like super critical to getting customers or getting press or, you know, it's, it's not the only thing that's going to make your product successful. But I think like especially when you're hiring or, or when you're trying to make your team happy and stay happy, um, a focus on on the craft and really like thinking about code quality or thoughtfulness in design and not just thinking about like, let's make it beautiful. But like, uh, I think that the famous quote by Johnny Ive is like, you know, you think about the, the back of the dresser, not just the front. So like if you pull it off, pull it out from your wall and it's just like a veneer back or it's um. Yeah, it's just like paperboard or something. Like you, know, you kind of feel that, and you know that, like, oh, you know, they didn't, they didn't really think about the back because they didn't think anyone would notice. I really like those details that people don't normally notice because it, it really, for me, it's really fulfilling as a designer to feel like I've really thought about the problem or really thought about the product and really like put my mark on it and made it something that I can be really proud of. Anytime I'm looking at a new product, I kind of try to metaphorically pull it out from the wall and see, like, you know, how how well did they actually think out all these different permutations and make sure that it's like thoroughly just like a really thoughtful product. Yeah, that's awesome. That's really good, really good advice and really good things to consider. So Wells, really appreciate you being on the show today, man. Uh, thanks so much. Yeah, of course. Great to be here. Well, that's about it for this episode of Hack to Start. You can find all the important links beneath the show. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Hack to Start and sign up for our newsletter to know about all the latest episodes, behind the scenes content and more. Thanks for listening and see you next time.